If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The biggest obstacle to you believing what Jesus would have you believe is illiteracy. Now, no doubt every single one of you knows, well, except for maybe the youngest, how to read and to write. Letters and phonics, words, sentence construction, even basic kinds of rhetoric and logic. And yet you remain illiterate, not reading, marking, learning, and inwardly digesting God's holy word. There are large swaths of scripture that I'm sure you've never read. There are probably characters, events, leaders, nations, and places that you've never heard of, but are part of or even central to the Bible's story. There are truths taught by Jesus and articulated in the Apostles' Doctrine that you can't even speak of. Of course, that's Jesus' point today. If you had known, well, you should know. It's your own fault for your lack of attention, effort, and focus to keep Christ in the totality of his word in front of your heart and mind. But you're not entirely to blame. You're also the product of the church culture that you've inherited. Most of you, myself included, were not taught to read the Bible as literature. Read through whole books at a time, or even read one book and compare it to another. Instead, we were conditioned from Sunday school through adulthood to instead consider maybe a brief paragraph or a lection, a sentence even, or even to just spend an hour on a phrase or even a word, and then ask and muse together, what does this mean to me? That was considered Bible study, and it's really, at best, a devotion. And that's what our favorite devotions often are, just not the totality of God's Word, but little snippets of Scripture followed by a brief meditation by the author, which may or may not have anything to do with what we just read. If I even asked you to recite from memory the chief text belonging to the sacraments, holy baptism and holy absolution, could you do it? Never mind asking you to articulate from the Scriptures the central article of our faith, that is the doctrine of justification by faith through grace alone. There is that particular advantage at least with children, upon relying upon short scripture readings and maybe a few jingles and catchphrases or a campfire song or two, even about Jesus. But we can't begin there. That's just milk. We have to move on to the pure spiritual word. There's that, there's that scary, intimidating, and worrisome word like today's that we'd rather not read or even consider. And so instead, we prefer a watered-down, sanitized, and dulled blade of Scripture. 
This is all good, of course, because then the children won't get scared or the women won't have their precious feelings hurt or the men won't be encouraged and compelled to act. We can all get on with our life, slothful, dumb, and happy. How dare Jesus intrude and make things hard on us, demand more of us, even make us uncomfortable, even terrify us with real fear, work repentance in our hearts. Back in the day, on this day, there might be a few of you who remember this, on the 10th Sunday after Trinity, you probably heard this from me before, our congregation would hear, read, the account of the destruction of Jerusalem, not just from Jesus' prophetic word in today's gospel, Luke 19, but an account abbreviated and annotated by C.F.W. Walther from the historian Josephus. I think it was Josephus. I grabbed the hymnal that belonged to this congregation, not in English, in German, and it's printed in the hymnal at the back, and it's appointed for this day. The whole congregation would read together the account of the destruction of Jerusalem in all of its gory and terrible detail. That's because our fathers in the faith wanted us to not only retain the reading and Jesus' stern warning from Luke 19, but they also wanted to expand your understanding to the depth and severity of that warning by actually hearing the account by a contemporary historian of the fulfillment of Jesus' word and everything that happened in that city. Jesus told you not one stone would be on another and that even the children would be killed in the process. But it's another thing to hear it actually in vivid detail. The account is horrific and more terrifying than maybe you even think Jesus' word suggests. I'll spare you all the details today. We won't read the whole thing. But there is a point. And the point is that your fathers in the faith, your Lutheran fathers, handed over to you a rich and full tradition of biblical literacy. Christian families read through whole books of scriptures together. The fathers taught the small catechism to their children, and they recited it in their homes daily. Every layman, especially lay leader, could articulate the chief doctrinal controversies that led to the Lutheran Reformation, and as are outlined in great detail in our Augsburg Confession. By the way, the Augsburg Confession is also at the back of every hymnal. At least they were. Every pastor and teacher not only just gave token acknowledgement to the Lutheran confessions, but actually believed, taught, and confessed the doctrine according to them. Our churches primarily sang from the rich chorale of our tradition of Lutheran chorales, not importing weak and false doctrine from those churches around us. And as today's tradition illustrated, our pastors taught their congregations to be literate of history and the context of the scriptures, using the classics of history and philosophy. There was a day when our churches were not content with simple pithy sayings, brief sound bites, doctrinal shorthands, and repetitive and emotive songs. Instead, our churches drank deeply from the well of God's word and together read broadly for greater understanding of themselves the world, history, culture, religions, and language. Our pastors all graduated not just with the knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, but aptitude at Greek, Hebrew, Latin, and German. 
and then, of course, English. And by this, their practice as a congregation was effuse with Scripture, doctrine, and tradition. And this way, God granted them deep roots that would hold them fast, even as they would be assaulted by the winds of change and the pelting hail of false doctrine and all the poisonous opinions of the secular world. I think it's because they took Jesus' word seriously. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. There's a real risk to neglecting the things that make for your peace. Jesus will take them right away from you and destroy you. That prophetic word spoken by Jesus was fulfilled some three decades later as Jerusalem and the temple and all the people therein were destroyed if they didn't get taken into exile. This is an example for us of God's wrath against rebellion and refusal to hear and believe what Jesus has had written for our instruction and learning. There is a warning. Jesus warns you with extraordinary patience and long-suffering. But that patience and long-suffering, of course, has an end. The proud and obstinate who despise the word and godly warnings must be called to repentance on this day in order to be restored to faith. Apathy and carelessness to God's word, left unchecked, actually becomes contagious, becomes part of the culture. It's why we are who we are today. That's why we've become so illiterate. We can't even recognize that the words Jesus spoke today actually had been fulfilled multiple times in the past upon other cities that had rebelled against God. Just go read the books of Kings and Chronicles. And it will be fulfilled again on the last day. You would know that had you read. If you had known, even you, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace. But you do know. God has put the ministry of his word in this world, not that you could ignore it, but rather that his preachers would preach it to you, to reprove, to teach, to correct, to comfort, to terrify, and thereby to save those whom the Lord wills. It is the task of the preacher to deliver the word full force, whether you like it or like it not. Even those awful examples of God's wrath against obstinate and sinful hearts of flesh. Whether it be Sodom or it even be God's holy city, Jerusalem. But he doesn't leave you there. To the Christian who is humbled and fearful of the day of wrath, the preacher is given to speak sweet words of comfort. For those who have been repented by the law and all its full fury, Christ Jesus wants nothing more than you to hear that your sins are forgiven, your lives have been renewed, and your hope of heaven is restored. That's why, in particular today and other days, we hear terrifying accounts of real history, real prophetic word that is fulfilled, real anger, fury, even wrath against sin from God. I think we're understandably reluctant to hear those words because God's wrath revealed is frightening and gory and horrific. But this is God's good and gracious will. It's meant to tear down 
the proud in the imaginations of their heart, to quote St. Mary, to bring the, even the godly into a fear of the Lord, that they repent and believe the gospel again. And even in the midst of the terrible event like that of the destruction of Jerusalem, we hear often throughout the other examples, say the flood or that of Sodom, that God preserves his faithful. He warns them so that they would have that way of escape, trusting in his word. God the Holy Spirit directing your heart by means of the word to confess and to repent and to believe again. So yes, Jesus today has a stern warning for you. But he's also set before you the things that make for your peace. You, the poor, the brokenhearted, the prisoners, the mourning, even the biblically illiterate, are given promised freedom, pardon, from God's wrath, as has been appeased in the death and resurrection of the Father's Son, Jesus. That's what his preacher is given to do today, to repent you and to forgive you. And he has, as he feeds you with his word, which is bread from heaven, as he sets before you a table in the midst of your enemies with his son's body and blood, as his grace and mercy overflows upon you as a healing fountain and a great spring to refresh and restore you. He has set before you, you who are fearful and terrified, the things that make for your peace and which set aside God's wrath, namely his son Jesus and his forgiveness. Believe and receive in the name of Jesus. Amen.